In the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Welcome back to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and today we are talking with our producer, co-host, and friend Matt Kelly, all about the novel, The Princess Bride, and how that translated into the film that we love and know today. Kelsey, this is going to be an interesting one to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, 50 years ago this month, a book that I love was released. And this book has since become a beloved movie. Uh, and that is The Princess Bride. So, I was trying to figure out the way that I wanted to go about this. And I wanted to start with telling you a little bit about the author of this book. Okay. Because he's he's a pretty big deal but I feel like he's a big deal that most people don't know about. Mm-hmm. So the the novel and later the screenplay for the movie was written by William Goldman. Are you familiar with William Goldman at all? Oh, William, Bill. I call him Bill. No, I don't, know who that, do. I don't know who that is at all. <laughs> so William Goldman is a uh, novelist who became a fairly prolific screenplay writer, like multiple Academy Award winning screenplay writer. And his older brother is James Goodman, who is a playwright and a screenplay writer. Uh, And in the 50s, and this is something that you'll appreciate, in the 50s, they shared an apartment with New York with their best friend, John Kander, who was the composer for Cabaret and Chicago. Epic. Uh, So... You know, you're you've got this nice little apartment hub of very creative people, right? It was so probably 50s, a disaster in their kitchen. Creative people are messy. Oh, <laughs> so in their fifties, he wrote a couple novels, um, and and none of them were really noteworthy just yet. It was a screenplay that he wrote that really put him on the map. In 1969, he wrote 
the screenplay, and also produced Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh. So that kind of put him in the public eye. In 1973, he writes The Princess Bride. And then, like I said, he wrote the screenplay for that. He uh, also wrote Marathon Man in 1974 and then wrote the screenplay for that film, which uh, if you're not familiar with Marathon Man, uh, the most famous scene in that movie is Dustin Hoffman in a chair with a dentist leaning over saying, be afraid, be very afraid. I didn't know that's where that comes from. Yeah. And then he wrote (laughs) he wrote the book Heat, uh, which became the movie in the 80s. Uh, and he wrote Magic, which was a minor success film about uh, Anthony Hopkins possibly being possessed by a puppet. Um, but he also went on to write the screenplay for All the President's Men, where he won an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. He was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Screenplay for The Marathon Man. He also went on to write the screenplays for Misery, Oh yeah, um, the, the Stephen King book. Um, but he became a consultant for scripts. Uh, so he was the consultant for Goodwill Hunting and A Few Good Men. And he did uncredited writing on Twins, Indecent Proposal, and Last Action Hero. So he's kind of had his hand in all different types of genres, worked with a lot of big name people as a screenplay writer. I would argue that as as powerful as a lot of these movies are, the most beloved thing he worked on was The Princess Bride. Hands it's down. it's a It's a thing that became a cult sensation. Um, but it was based on a very strange book. So the full title of The Princess Bride, the book, is The Princess Bride, S. Morgenstein's classic tale of true love, high adventure. This is the good parts version. So I want you to think about the movie The Princess Bride because I'm Mm -hmm. about to frame the book with your already knowledge of The Princess Bride. So the first like two chapters of The Princess Bride is... Goldman talking about being sick when his grandfather would come and read him this forgotten fairy tale by S. Morgenstein and how he looked forward to his sick days because every time he would get sick, his grandfather would read him The Princess Bride. And, you know, that is the framework of the movie The Princess Bride is we've got Fred Savage sick in bed and his grandfather's reading to him. Mm -hmm. Where the book takes an interesting turn is that now he has a daughter and his daughter is uh, of the appropriate age to read The Princess Bride. And he finds The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstein and he presents the book to his son and he's like, I can't wait to hear how excited he is. And the son hates the book. And he's like, I can't finish it, dad. It's so boring. And he's like, that's not what I remember. So he starts reading this book and he realizes, oh, this S. Morgenstein guy was obsessed with like royalty and that there's hundreds and hundreds of pages of like family trees and like this person married this person to lead to this person. And there's all this boring stuff. So he decided to buy the rights to this S. Morgenstein book and then edit it down to just the good parts. Get rid of all of the boring stuff and just keep the action and the true love and the romance. And this is all the book. This is what the book's about. This is inside the book. story. Okay, okay. Just making sure I'm still on the same track that it's... What he didn't admit for years is that S. Morgenstein doesn't exist and there is no original writing of The Princess Bride. He just thought it would be fun to create this giant framework that there's this forgotten book that like him and his grandfather shared and like he bought the rights to it. And trans- just I think it's such a fun 
creative like framework yeah like just to play around with that so in in the so this is a interesting thing but in the novel's commentary gold goldman writes that he added nothing to the original morgan uh morgenstein text he simply just removed pieces throughout most of the book it is pretty faithful to how you the movie adaptation was very faithful to so much of it so like you get that set up but then the rest of the book continues Perfectly. So is the it's book a great. comedy? The book is very funny. Yeah. Okay. All so of the it is. dialogue, it's not like they made it like this. Oh, yeah. No, the dialogue okay. is ripped straight from the page. Oh, cool. Like that—that okay. that witty, goofy, sarcastic. There's very little that changes except for this. <laughs> it's gonna be a major so, thing, isn't it? You're all just one little thing. So the book ends, and he says. All of my life, I thought that this was the end of the book, where the characters ride off into the sunset. He goes, if that's how you pers- you prefer to finish this book, you can stop here. But if you wish to continue reading, you've been warned, basically. <laughs> and then you turn the next page, and it's as they're riding off into the sunset, it's like, and then the magic hour of Wesley being alive ended and he fell dead. And, oh. and, and Inigo Montoya's wounds reopened and he bled out. And, like, and it's like, like literally tragic death. Oh all of the heroes die. Prince oh Humperdinck God. shows up, kills Buttercup. And like that's the end. Like, it's kind of funny. It's like, kind of funny. Unexpected downer ending. Um, but then... The author has said that he believes that the group still got away and that Morgenstein just didn't get a chance to finish finish the book and that it was a cliffhanger that he unfortunately <laughs> died before completing. Um, he did also say that for years he was working on a sequel called Buttercup's Baby. Um, <laughs> and when it never got finished, he never was able to finish it. So instead of admitting that he failed he just said that he was having a lot of trouble with uh s morgenstein's legal estate on getting the rights to buttercup's baby so he really just like leaned in to that entire joke but he did write the first chapter of buttercup's baby and if you buy the 25th edition of Princess Bride, it does come with that bonus chapter. So I do want to read this from Wiki because it, it says it pretty well. The chapter consists of some disjointed assemblage of stories about the quartet's great escape at the end of the first book and the eventual kidnapping of Waverly, who is Wesley and Buttercup's daughter, by a skin-faced madman who eventually throws her off a mountainside. The chapter ends with Fezig, Waverly's appointed babysitter, leaping off the mountain in order to save her and then cradling her to preserve her from the impact that seems to spell certain danger for Fezwig. It is also noteworthy of a flashback to Inigo Moya's past and his training as a swordsman as his once romantic love interest. The chapter continues with the author's extensive footnotes after he is outraged to learn that the fiercely protective Morgenstein estate has relent has finally relented to an abridgment of this book. Uh, but this is not done by Goldenstein, but from a cameo writing of Stephen King. So Stephen King came in and wrote a guest footnote uh, complaining about the legal holdup of the book. Um, it just it seems like it's just he really had fun with this concept. Yeah. The 30th anniversary of The Princess Bride included hints that the sequel... Uh, would be promised to be completed in time for the 50th anniversary edition, which, of course, is this year. 
Um, unfortunately, Goldman died in 2018. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we'll, I don't know if he ever wrote more and that we will get like this extended version of the Buttercup's baby spinoff. Just died with him. But it, it's the only thing that the book has that the movie really lacked is uh, Inigo Montoya has a full like two chapters that really dig deep into like him being a boy watching the six finger man kill his dad and mm -hmm. like the decades and decades of like nonstop training to become the greatest swordsman that's ever lived. But which is typical for movies. I mean, I kind of hate like I get when people are like the book's so much better because there's so much detail and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but then every fucking movie would be like five hours. I was like, you got to trim yeah. around where it like doesn't really progress the plot. You can say it in one sentence and going, my father got killed. I'm trained. I'm very good. OK, continue. And you're like, great, we're there. Yeah, that that's the the that gets cut out. And the other thing that gets cut out is when and I, I would love to see like I think that the Princess Bride, the movie is perfect as it is. Mm -hmm. I would love if they were if they had shot this and there was like an extended cut that you could choose to watch. Um, alternative ending. Calling, yeah. Well, no, not the alternative oh. ending. Uh, if you remember, there's a scene where they they stop the albino and then they go and save Wesley, who's dead. Yes. Um, but it wasn't in the movie. It's depicted as basically like you touch this knot on a tree. It opens a door and you just go down mm -hmm. to the dungeon. But it actually is a they refer to it as a zoo of death where you have to go through multi layers of creatures that you have to battle in order to get to the basement. And like, and that, um, they were specifically the, the, the albino and, um, the six fingered man whose actual name I'm blanking on were specifically trained with trip, like secrets on how to calm the animals to get past them. But like, an intruder would have to fight each one of them. So uh, that that would have been cool. But again, that would have like added 30 minutes to the movie mm -hmm. easily. I think that the movie is a better, more concise telling of the, the book. But the book is like, if you really love the world of The Princess Bride and you want it a little bit more out of it, like it's there. There's a there's a short-lived sci-fi series called The Magicians that were based on a trilogy of books called The Magicians. And my friend Kathleen got me into the show and the books. And she used to always say, like, the books are so different than the the show was. But I'm okay with that because, like, I miss my show. And these books are just, like, more adventures mm -hmm. <laughs> for me to to imagine that the show could have gone into if they kept going. That's, that's funny. Um, and that's I how thought I see about this, that. Too. Yeah, I see that a lot yeah. with, like, books and movies as well. Instead of comparing and contrasting, just being like, oh, I just get more of what I love. Or when they make sequels of movies that everyone's like, oh, the sequel wasn't as good. And I was like, yeah, but I love the characters. I could literally just watch them, like, sit and have their morning coffee and I'm happy. I get to, like, be with them longer. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about the movie because it is technically it's before your time. Um, I was two <laughs> when it came out. Film has gotten a ton of accolades, right? It mm -hmm. was a box office uh, moderate success to borderline disappointment when it came out, but became a cult hit. Uh, it's considered one of the greatest films of the 80s. It's considered one of Rob Reiner's best movies. Uh, it was ranked number 50 on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies. It was ranked number 88 on the AFI 100 Years, 100 Passions for Greatest Love Stories. And Channel 4 ranked it among one of the 50 greatest comedy films ever made. 
And it is, uh, as of 2016, was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Um, I do love this movie. This is a movie that I quote more than I probably have watched at this point. Yes. But I'm never sad when it's on. Like, if someone pops it on at a party... I might actually kind of drift away from party conversation and focus in on the movie. I have to ask you, Matt, just real side note, how many parties do you go to? Because I feel like that's constantly an anecdote where you're like, oh, when I'm at a party, I put this on or at the party, I'll slip and do this. I'm like, what so parties are you going it, to? At 37, not many. Um, in my 20s, though, like parties would happen around television very easily like it'd be like hey we're like my friends used to throw like a star wars party every year where it was like hey we're gonna hang out throughout the entire evening every star wars movie will play but like there were people who would hang out and watch the movies and then there were people that were just like in the kitchen dancing to the music and and like yeah Well, it was a red Han solo cup but yes stop Uh, (laughs) i'm done oh can i tell you can I tell you the dad joke that I made in my family group chat that almost led to being disowned by my family? No, let's go. Um, so, you know, normally when you have a Christmas dinner, people tend to lean towards like ham or turkey as their go-tos. Um, this year, because we were kind of having a small gathering, my mom was like, what if we made fillets? That would be fun. So she made a bunch of fillets. And I said, so we're not having a Christmas so much as we're having a fillets Navidad. And my, <laughs> and my brother responded to the text and said, you're not welcome here anymore. <laughs> you know me. You know I love a good dad joke, but you just saw how big my eye roll was. Matt, no. There is one thing that I want to highlight about the movie that I think is super underrated. I think that the soundtrack for hmm, Princess Bride, really? specifically... The, the the song is called Storybook Love, but it's a little guitar riff that plays throughout the movie. This dun 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 is uh, by Dire Straits. The band, uh, the oh. main guy from Dire Straits, did the soundtrack. But I think it is such a beautiful guitar piece, and I and I think about it. Often, like I think it might be one of my favorite like musical pieces of any film, and I and I don't know why, but uh, I wanted to bring it up because a the song "Storybook Love" was nominated for a best original song at the the sixtieth Academy Awards. It obviously didn't win, um, but in the commentary <laughs> track for the DVD, Rob Reiner even says that only Mark uh, Kepfler of Dire Straits could capture the combination of quirky but romantic nature that the film had. And and I think that that's true because I when I think of one of my favorite love songs, I often think of Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. I think that that is just like such a fantastic love song. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to me why they were like, this is the person we need to talk to. Like this guy can write these beautiful songs, but he can also write something as quirky as like money for nothing, but your chicks for free. Like he... He gets both sides of that token. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know um, he wrote that music. So that's actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You were like the soundtrack. I was like, really? I have to yeah, I know. See, there. there's always surprises with Matt Kelly. In the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants. 
But those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. So, Kelsey, I know that you hadn't read the book Princess Bride, but before we completely go away, I know that you and I are both lovers of the movie. So I just thought we'd have a little bit of fun on the outro and just talk about some of our favorite moments or quotes from the movies, things that like have lived rent free in our brain since we saw it. Yeah, gosh, I feel like it's like all the standard stereotypical famous shit that lives in my brain that everyone quotes. But my sister Katie is responsible for showing me this. I was a kid and I remember she grew up in St. Louis with her mom and stepdad and she we were staying the night and she's like, you've never seen Princess Bride? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, get the sleeping bag out. That's what we're doing tonight. So it was kind of always something we quoted together. And I remember like at her wedding, my sister Giselle made a speech at her rehearsal dinner, you know, trying to do the marriage. Marriage is what brings us together. And so it's like stuff like that, that it's like, but everyone says those, you know, it's, I don't, I feel like it's anything that might also my Giselle's last name. She didn't drop her last name. She's like hyphenated, but she married into a hyphenated last name. So she's a Fernandez Salvador. So she's like legally, her name is Giselle Arlene, Wait, Giselle Arlene Laurie Fernanda Salvador. And she always says that. And I'm like, you Oof. killed my father. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> always, yeah. I mean, we do have to talk about Carol Kane and Billy Crystal as as Miracle uh, Max and his wife. Like, just such a... I'm, I'm not, not a witch, I'm, I'm your, your wife. wife. And I'm not even sure I want to be that anymore. <laughs> I forgot. I used to say that a lot, too. <laughs> he clearly said to Blave, which we know means to bluff. <laughs> like, it's, it's such a goofy, fun film. Um... I'll tell you my favorite joke in the whole movie, though, and okay. I think it's one that people don't talk about, is actually from the character just named the albino. And it's when Wesley wakes up on the table and he goes, where am I? And he goes, you're in the pit of despair. <clears throat> you're in the pit of despair. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a very, you know, like a lot of these jokes are very on brand with like a Mel Brooks style of humor. There's definitely 100%. a difference, but it is that kind of, and it's no joke, like, or no surprise that, you and I would love a film like this where we do love Mel Brooks so much, which well, and we I, even have a cast I member th- here who was in my favorite, Robin Hood and Tice. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that it's an accident that he, I bet Mel Brooks saw this movie and was like, if I ever make a Robin Hood film. He's, and he's like the it, perfect It Robin has Hood. to be Carrie. Like he's, and he is. I love him. I, I say this non-jokingly. He is my favorite person to play Robin Hood since like the 1925 Adventures of Robin no, Hood. No, he really like is. Earl Flynn. Like, he's, I realized like a couple years ago, because I follow him on Instagram. I absolutely just adore him. And I did realize that I was like, oh, as an adult, I'm realizing who my first crushes were. And I didn't even realize it at the time that they were crushes. 
but I grew up with Robin Hood men in tights. And so he was kind of like one of the first more categorized like men crushes versus yeah. like Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who I look back now and I'm like, he was nine or like, you know, like not yeah. a boyhood. But yes, he definitely was one of the first like men on screen that I can't always watch that movie. And he was a lead. He was a leading man in the wrong decade for him. You know yes. what I mean? Like in, in like the twenties and thirties, he would have been the, one of the biggest stars Yeah, in like I agree. this genre of swashbuckling. Like I, I think even when we did our pirates episode, we kept saying like, he he's mm-hmm. the dread pirate Roberts. Like he's he's just this perfect he's so, casting yeah. for I'm like if he would have been Orlando Bloom's character if they had made the Pirates of the Caribbean films in the eighties. You know what I mean? Like he just had totally. that look of the everyday guy who could pick up a sword and he could win a sword fight, but like But it's like dashing he's and not, handsome and Yeah, charming, he's not yeah. the actual he's not the Captain Jack Sparrow. He's the he's the straight man that deals with the the quirkiness of the people around him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was funny too. He's so good at delivering absurd punchlines with such sincerity. Like, yes, it, we stand him over here on this podcast for sure. Carrie, we love you. The only other, the only other thing that I, I wanted to bring up was my, my weird first exposure to this was from a very obscure rap group that no one really knows called concrete. Um, and they weren't even like a, they were like a rap group in the way that like Rage Against Machines is a rap group. They were a rock band that did a lot of rapping, but they had a song where it was probably the most hip hop rapping song on the track. And I just always remember that at the very end of the song, they finish and it just cuts to Wallace Shaw. Yeah, like no more rhymes, and I mean I was, it. <laughs> I literally was just about to be like, okay, when you're done, I want to talk about that because that was anybody yeah. want a peanut? Want like a peanut? <laughs> I remember the first time watching this movie as a kid, and like that was my favorite line. That probably oh, made me so laugh good. the hardest. Yeah, it's, it's great, so, and the cast and is amazing. Like everyone is so talented. Everyone's I mean, great. Obviously, Mandy everyone. Pinkin, I was just Pinkin? that's who I wanted oh, to talk. Uh, like I was a huge. I mean, he's had a, an incredible theatrical stage career he's an incredible singer he i was a big criminal minds fans and so he was on criminal minds for years and he was he's incredible on that show but he's just such a good incredible actor have how many times have i said incredible matt um just making sure that yeah. count is up but um it again it's these brilliant actors who are nailing it in the comedies because that's not an easy thing to do yeah i always forget that he was in dick tracy <laughs> oh yeah God, he's the piano player in Dick Tracy. That's right. And he sings dude. with Madonna. Like, yeah. He's got a beautiful voice. He had a huge Broadway career. Um, yeah, no, he's he's lit, dare I say. Mandy, we love you yeah. too. And then, of course, we got Robin. We like to do our uh, first name bases here. Robin Wright. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jen A um, Je- herself, right? <laughs> right there. Yeah, the cast, the casting in this movie, it's a it's a flawless film in all in all. In every sense of the word, like all of the accolades that it gets, it's it's so well deserved. Like, is there anyone who's more easily hateable in the eighties than like Chris Aradon? Like yeah. just so great as Humperdink. He's the villain in in the Fright Night, the first Fright Night movie as well. Like he's just so easy to Wait, hate. He's in I Nightmare Before Christmas. Who did he voice? Yes. He's he- Jack Skeleton. What? I knew that. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I knew that already. Because Danny Elfman does all his singing. Yes, but he does all the talking. But he does all the talking. That's right. Yeah, he has such a great voice. And then, I mean, we ha- you could go through the whole fucking cast on this movie because it's all so perfect. But uh, Christopher Guest, like, 
one of the most brilliant comedic minds of all time, just like perfectly underselling the the six fingered man. Like he's he doesn't have a lot of jokey lines. He's he's legitimately kind of a creepy guy. But there's that great scene where he gets the "My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die" line, and he's standing, and then he just turns around and <laughs> runs away, and it's like. The Perfect. way he is. I mean, obviously, he's just such a... I always forget he's in this movie. He said that. And I was like, oh, my God, duh. Because I'm a huge Christopher Guest fan. I mean, I watched Yeah, but he's not doing a lot of here. comedy in it. No, it's like it's a very a more, straight role for him. That's what... <laughs> like, he's another talented person. Because even within his movies and his more mockumentary movies, which are all of them, the characters within those he plays are also different. Yeah. Wallace Shawn. I mean, Wallace Shawn's great too, but yeah, the Christopher Guest, I guess that's the other thing that we do need to bring up, is as goofy and silly as this movie is, one of the lines that I think is so beautifully acted and so powerful is that final confrontation between him and Inigo Montoya, where he's got his back against the wall, and he's like, I'll give you anything you want, and he's like, promise me all the riches in the world, he's like, you'll have them, he's like, promise me women too, he's like, you'll have them. And then he just goes, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. And then he just shoved like it's but the way that it's delivered, it's like Mm -hmm. in a movie that has been so goofy and like it is such a real raw moment (laughs) where you're just like, oh, my God, like when he says that line, I always get just like the tiniest little like tear going because I'm like, Mm -hmm. holy shit, the love that this character has for his dad and like being driven on that pure Vengeance. desire for revenge like it's it's such a good movie and Andre the Giant I love the stories that Andre the Giant loved working on this movie because it was the only he said it was the only time he didn't feel like an outcast he felt like Aww. he was just accepted for who he is um let's see oh here we go when Goldman originally started shopping the novel in the 80s his first choice for Fezzik was Andre the Giant whose wrestling schedule left him unavailable for filming his second choice was Arnold Schwarzenegger, who at the time was almost completely unknown as an actor. However, by the time Princess Bride finally was greenlit, Schwarzenegger was a major movie star and the studio couldn't afford him. So they worked out a contract with World Wrestling Federation to allow them to hire Andre. Could you imagine this movie? It'd be so different with, with Schwarzenegger. Yeah, and I it don't think it would be better with, no, for it no, no. at all. I, I agree. It would not be better at all. I wish I could find this story, but there was another story I read where apparently they were filming a scene and he, I think it was a story from Wallace Shaw. They were filming a scene and Andre the Giant just farted for what seemed like two straight minutes. God. And he's like, and it was just complete silence. And then Rob Reiner from behind the camera just goes... Everything okay, Andre? And he just goes, yeah, boss, start rolling. <laughs> like, I imagine nothing less. That's exactly, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It seems like, that's funny. Oh, gosh. That's uh, well, if, if someone's listening, yeah, if someone's listening and they're like, how could you not talk about this part from Princess Bride? It's There's my so favorite many, moment or scene. Where can they go to tell us how we've wronged them? Yes, tell us how we've wronged uh, you and you will avenge yourself on Instagram. You can find us at Before My Time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just search Before My Time. We will pop up right on our wall. DM us. Leave us a comment. Just say hey or let us know what moment is your favorite in The Princess Bride. Also, if you want to give us a five-star review right now, that would be so awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for tuning in every week, guys. We appreciate you for listening and can't wait to bring you more fun stuff to listen to. Bye.
in the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 